This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined, as always, by Stephen Mareska and Matt Fasaro. Hey, guys. Hey, everyone. Hey. So it seemed relevant, you know, given everything that's going on here with Ukraine and Russia, to maybe to spend a little bit of time on uh, sort of cyber warfare and you know, we certainly deal on, I'll call, to some degree, I'll call it the, the consumer end of, you know, incidents and ransomware. The, the receiving end. The receiving end, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, there's there's a lot of talk in the news, right? I think people are certainly bringing up, you know, what, it, what does it potentially mean for us maybe here in the United States? What does it just mean more generally? You know, kind of what is, what is cyber warfare in a lot of ways? Uh, so I think, you know, similar to some of our other podcasts of a, you know, maybe cyber warfare 101 to some degree, uh, covering what are the risks that we think might present themselves here in the, you know, maybe in the not too distant future? What are the type of attacks that we should expect to see? What targets might be attractive? Uh, um, is it purely technical? Are there other things out there that we need to you know, consider a little bit? Uh, so I don't know if either one, of, either one of you want to take a stab at, you know, maybe what is cyber warfare, perhaps? Sure. So I, I, maybe let's talk about how targets are picked. With something like this and what types of attacks that we be looking at right you know jason brought up ransomware right we're not going to look at we're not going to see ransomware most likely in a cyber warfare type of engagement right we're going to be looking at destructive types of attacks to either take a service offline um maybe even kill people right that, that's a very likely thing to happen especially if it's a you know, during an operation, right? And that that's one thing to remember too, is that most uh, most nations don't have the type of cyber capability that some others do. Or, you know, for example, we have a pretty strong cyber program. We assume that Russia has a pretty strong cyber program. It's a lot of assumptions on what everyone has right now too, because we haven't really been in a cyber war yet, at least that we know about. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd, I'd say that, you know, the framing is that any sort of, true cyber warfare aims to do a few things. Uh, either disorient an enemy by reducing the information that they have available, by flooding them with information, to damage the enemy in some capacity, undermining their critical infrastructure, or otherwise distract. Because, you know, deception's part of the game. Uh, you know, fainting attacks are really important. And if you can achieve any one of those three, you know, in, in large part, you're facilitating actual warfare goals in the physical world at the same time. Right. So when when you're saying critical infrastructure, right, I think, you know, water, power, uh, maybe, maybe internet, right? The ability to transmit data potentially. I mean, certainly communications. I mean, yeah. th think back over the last 20 years, there have been a lot of suspicious severed undersea cables, they're test exercises. They're deliberate. If if you have the ability as a nation to disrupt communications, you know, you inherently place your foe on an island. So I think that you'd absolutely include communications at the forefront of that. To some degree in cyber warfare, you preserve communications for as long as possible because they are the means by which you make those attacks uh, a, right. a reality. But, you know, critical infrastructure could be economic, it could be industrial, right? 
So, so actually, that's the segue I was thinking of going into, which was how much of it is, how much of the financial system is considered, say, an infrastructure style attack uh, versus, you know, is, is that just a, a, a mechanism perhaps to sort of control your enemy, right? Which, which I think we're seeing on the, on, certainly on the Russia side. Yeah, uh, I, I, th- I think financials will be targeted quite, quite a bit, Yeah, right? Probably right out of the gate too. It's, you're trying to be as effective as possible with the attacks that you've got. Financial impact is something that creates a lot of suffering, whether it be psychological or, you know, what have you, um, that that's a, a good weapon to use if you've got it. Accordingly, you know, financial uh, trading houses and, and so forth are some of the best defended right. institutions in general from a um, cyber perspective. New York Stock Exchange is bristling with the best technology and best software that you can imagine for this sense. It's it's part of the equation. If you can undermine an or, a country's or an organization's capability to pay its bills, that compels their behavior in a direction away from their other warfare goals. Right. It, it, it's altering the calculus, and that's the goal ultimately. Yeah, and if, I think anything that we would see, you know, here at home would be for that long game, right? Financials, um, uh, the critical infrastructure pieces that we talked about, you know, water, electricity, things like that. We want any attacker would want to impose great inconvenience and cause financial stress on the United States, so that we have less of an ability to react kinetically, right? So to do those things, it would take a long time in a cyber sense to actually make that effective, right? All the same, there are psychological outcomes of some of these effects, right. uh, attacks. The Colonial Pipeline was ransomware. It was isolated. It wouldn't be considered cyber warfare, right? Right. But a ransomware attack on a pipeline company in the petrochemical space caused panic buying. It caused shortages, even though there was no real shortage of gas. And that chaos that ensues is itself a reasonable goal in warfare. You can link the two, especially when we're talking about cyber warfare warfare being sort of something that facilitates war in the physical realm as well. So, I mean, the chaos statement's a good one too, because I I partly want to go down the path of your propaganda. And you know, I, I don't know that you want to say that that is cyber war, right? Propaganda is, has been around you know, for a hundred years, right? More, you go more, you can go back far. Um, but the reality is, it's easy to get misinformation out or disinformation, you know, really quickly and uh, mass. That's really challenging now to yeah. sort of sort the truth from fiction in a lot of ways. Um, interestingly, you know, I, I've got a the 15 year old who's much more in tune with social media, certainly than I am. And I was fascinated to see how much, what felt like very legitimate news coming from people on Instagram who had you know, contacts in the Ukraine and yet were reporting almost, almost in real time, what felt like very, very factual information. But I found myself saying, well, you know, really how much, you know, how much does that, if that individual really know and how accurate is all of this? Like it's really hard to take what appears to be a very authentic, authoritative source and kind of not trust it. And I think that's part of that chaos that, you, that you're bringing up. It is, but it's not really cyber warfare. Nope. Th- th- this just happens to be the same old story that's it, been always true for centuries. Right? You can it, do more quickly now, though. It, exactly. Right. The speed of information right. travels. What's the, um, the adage? Um, truth flies more slowly than 
than falsehood or something to that effect. I'm, I'm butchering it. But yeah, I don't the, know the point, that works. But, yeah. The point <laughs> remains, right? It, confusion, if sowed, is just simply more effective right. in today's sphere. But cyber warfare, you know, it's at its fringes. If we're thinking about critical infrastructure, you bomb or you disable in the real world power transmission, power generation, um, gas pumping stations, uh, life safety organizations. You inhibit communications. Th those are the things that you can achieve with kinetic weapons like you were referencing earlier. But if you're an invading force, you want to preserve a lot of that infrastructure. If you can disable it entirely with your electronic attack, you are fundamentally making your spoils of war more functional when you walk in after the fact. That's part of this to some degree. We're talking about a conflict at the moment that involves annexation of territory in 2014. Effectively planned annexation of territory at the moment. This is essentially part of the game. And preserving infrastructure while still disabling it is sort of one of the unique aspects of cyber warfare, in my opinion. Mm, right. Yeah, I think that kind of goes to, to show that cyber warfare will look different depending on whether you're whether you have an invading force or not. Right. right. The, the tactics change. The types of attacks will change. Like Steve said, they, they may not do much to a, a power grid, but just kind of try to disable it for now. Right, because right, they want it intact later. Right, I mean, communications was directly affected in, in Ukraine. Right, I'm pretty sure that they're pretty much only on things like Starlink at this point, um, because they were Russia was successful in stopping communications. Right, communications probably wouldn't be touched in the U.S. until it's time. Right, you're not going to burn those associations that you've got with you know people and companies, assets that you've got inside of their their networks until it's time. Right, because everything is valuable at that point. Exactly. Right. But you know, it, it it's it's worth talking about the unique aspects of cyber warfare that make it a little different from traditional war. You have the capability to be very effective at wildly diverse, disparate locations mm -hmm. across the actual geographic sphere with one act. And you know, say you're targeting a company that has some sort of important supply chain component for uh, a conflict, right? Electronics, navigation systems, what have you. If you target their corporate headquarters in a different country and through that entry point affect all of their other locations in manufacturing places, your distribution hubs everywhere in the world, you've effectively crippled their capability to support a war effort everywhere at once. And that, that type of asymmetrical out aspect of the engagement is, you know, old term in terms of warfare. But cyber war in particular ha emphasizes that asymmetry where defenders are fundamentally behind the eight ball. And honestly, attackers, because of the capabilities, because of the speed that information and attacks can travel, are able to achieve huge impacts very quickly. Right. So and, and to that end, then, right, we're, we're talking about some of these infrastructure style attacks. You know, for folks who are listening, you know, if you if you're a company that supports that uh, that industry or those environments in some way, you know, you really want to look at some of the more 
uh, some of the technologies that are in the space to help you more quickly identify attacks that might be occurring you know, to your company with the ultimate goal of being able to provide access to you know, power grids or water supplies, et cetera, right? So it's not just going to go directly to you know, a power company. There's a, lot right. of supporting, there's a lot of supporting organizations there. And I think you know, they need to be mindful of what their security programs look like and that their, their sort of protective infrastructure looks like. Um, you know, we've, we, we've talked a lot about this, and it, and it feels very defensive. You know, somebody is executing an attack. Um, you know, NATO has an organization, the Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence, right? And, you know, they run um, tabletop exercises. I think, you know, large-scale yep. tabletop exercises every year uh, designed to better prepare their their staff and all, you know, sort of all the people supporting this on how to address the cyber attack, right? Um in some way, I'd still call that a defensive, maybe preparatory, right? But defensive. Is there any ability to go on the offensive uh, in, in uh, when it comes to this? Yeah, we, I mean, we ab- absolutely have capabilities to do that. Um, you'll find very little information about it. Things that are typically considered weapons or you know an offensive weapon or anything like that usually end up being classified. So they're, they're, you'll need certain levels to actually get any of that information. Um, but just understanding how you know a lot of cyber attacks work, we definitely do have capabilities to to do this to to attack back um, to cause havoc, right? Um, it's just we're not necessarily in the know of exactly what those methods are, right? Uh, a lot you have to remember a lot of the tools that we use as defenders are themselves able to cut both directions. Right. I, a r- really simplistic example of that is how you know some of the tools we use truly when defending organizations will themselves show up in antivirus quarantines because they've been right. inappropriately or as collateral damage sucked up into the indicators of compromise of some attack. The fundamental truth is that many of the things that might be used as a defender to define um, flaws, prioritize fixing, and so forth can also be weaponized in a way that deploys ransomware. It just takes a small additional uh, bit of effort. Matt's right um, that the actual capabilities are not necessarily publicized. There's good reason for it. Ultimately, ultimately, most of the organizations that produce software of the variety that helps in offense really have a profit motive at the end of the day. (laughs) And they have to operate within the bounds of law and want to have the largest customer base possible. So they want to stay away from export control problems and things of that variety. So it really narrows the field to very specialized players. And that's, in my opinion, where it should stay. But the truth Mm -hmm. is that in the attack sphere, they're not playing by those rules. It's another example of asymmetry. The defenders have to play by the, you know, defined set of tools they have available. Right. Attackers are not kept in such an enclosed environment. Right. And I'd say as far as where where we might have an advantage would be probably on the battlefield, right? So I'm talking about cyber operations on a battlefield itself. Um, you know, th- at least from, from what, what I understand, we have more capabilities to um, have support operations going on, um, you know, either against uh, actual weapon systems or, you know, aircraft and... Uh, actually being able to launch attacks from a field versus having an operations center somewhere actually deploying the, those types of things. And you, by we, you mean the collective we, NATO, Five Eyes Alliance. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much any NATO nation probably have access to some of these things. And then we have our own internal U.S. 
type of capabilities as well. Mm -hmm. At the edge of cyber warfare is, of course, espionage. And mm -hmm. the U.S. and EU in general are collectively, along with other peers like Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, the penultimate example of defensive uh, cyber intelligence. And they use it very effectively. Demonstrated to some degree, calling all of the cards in the last uh, opening salvo of the conflict that, that we're seeing in the real world. It happens quietly as well. There are briefings occurring today uh, about some of the unclassified ripples of what we're seeing for, for defense in the broader industry that's not part of you know this defense supply chain. It's, it's all part of that sphere. And ultimately, information is king. And right. we, it, you know, we've made those comments many, many, many times before. It's exactly true here. It doesn't change. Right. The, you know, when we were talking about infrastructure earlier, um, and actually, I hadn't, to be honest, I hadn't thought about this too much uh, before we started chatting here. You know, healthcare, hospitals, et cetera, um, they, I mean, they represent a real risk, especially during, you know, call it more traditional wartime, where, you know, you've got, you know, patients and patient care, which has a huge dependence now on technology, right? And if you can, if you can disrupt that, um, you you really can affect your enemy's ability to sort of you know treat wounded, et cetera. Um, and I th and I think some of those some of that is actually called out in some of the sort of the legal work around uh, you know the ethics of cyber warfare and what's permitted and what's not. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if that even evolves more, right? And, but to your point, it, there, there's an asymmetry there, right? Because you can write yeah. down all the law you want. Um, yeah, it, I mean, we're it's we're seeing those types of things not being followed right now, right? Right. So the, I have little faith that an attacking entity will follow those rules, right? So much of the Geneva Convention actually gets thrown out when you're on a field with artillery, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> but the, there's no question though that the capability is there. I mean, right. no question. All, yep. all of the ransomware that have affected uh, you know healthcare facilities in the last 10 years have absolutely made giant waves in in terms of news but those have been unintentional side effects of not well targeted attacks yeah, right right in the hands of an actual strategic enemy yeah i mean it's game over right and unfortunately we know that that you know the healthcare industry is in spite of HIPAA, right, in spite of some of the other regulatory requirements, one of the least secure environments that we often run into. And so, I mean, you know, that that and, you know, I'd say our power grid with some of the traditional controls there represent real risk. Yep. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of these entities need to start focusing on how to recover from something like that. Assume, assume you're not going to uh, defeat the attacker, right? Uh, assume you're going to have a major incident happen when it comes to cyber warfare and have a plan. Uh, if you don't have a plan of how to come back from something like that, you're you're going to be going to be in bad shape. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, both business continuity and disaster recovery. Like, yeah. You know, how do you run if things are disrupted? Right. If you're facing a worthy adversary, they're they're gonna they're gonna get in. Right. They've got they've got the zero days that have not been disclosed. They've right. got all the tools they need. So, I I think that on on that note, one of the things that worries me most are where cyber attacks bleed into physical impact. Right. Power Grid's a great example of that. If transformers at um, substations are in some way impacted because of instabilities and in frequencies on a line because monitoring equipment was disabled, um, like the 
the 2003 outage that hit uh, New York, for example. Those take a long time to manufacture. They're not just kept on a shelf somewhere. We're talking about months of lead time. If enough of them are damaged all at once, yeah, you're not coming back right, from it. Yeah. Right. So uh, isolation of sensitive equipment is really one of the key things. And th- those systems are built to do that sort of thing. But there are plenty of examples where, you know, disabling a sensor here, shutting down flow of information there produces the same sort of negative outcome as not having it at all. Right. And ultimately preparing for that sort of thing, reinforcing your point with actual physical inventory of x-ray machines or MRIs or parts is essentially an absolute requirement if you're assuming a broad spectrum cyber attack. Yeah, we're, we're all kind of at the whim of just-in-time manufacturing these days. Exactly. That, that's a good place to exploit it if you were going to attack it. For sure. Um, well, it's a primer. Right, so I, I, I think the reality <laughs> is we're not going to go into into every topic that we potentially could. Um, I think our intent here is just to introduce sort of the, the concept, some of the potential risk uh, you know, to, to folks who probably haven't given a lot of thought. Uh, and and I think impress upon people that if you know, you're in a supporting industry, uh, you know, make sure that you're doing what you can from a sort of a programmatic perspective. Right, you're building your security program uh, to position you to defend yourself. Right, because I think you know. Really, realistically, none of us are going to go on the offensive. Uh, we need to be prepared. Uh, we need to understand what the risks are and do our best to, to position ourselves to either you know, prevent them or recover. Uh, and that's ultimately what we're doing here. Um, any final thoughts at all uh, that you feel we didn't cover that you'd want to? I mean, we could we could talk about this for hours for right. sure. Right. Um, and yeah, hope, hopefully none of you will find yourself in the position where you actually need to be the attacker here. But, uh, but yeah, it's, like Jason said, I'd say having a plan if you're supporting these entities is probably the most important thing. Right. So, well, on that, on that note, um, hopefully we've got, hopefully we've gotten people thinking a little bit, uh, you know, give thought to your security programs, feel free to reach out to us, you know, Vancord, uh, at LinkedIn is probably the best way. Uh, we're happy to have a conversation with you, uh, just generally about the topic, or if you're concerned about your, your security profile, we're happy to discuss that as well. Um, as always, Matt, Steve, thanks for joining today and everybody. Thank you for listening. Stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.